You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome to The Conservative Conscience and welcome to 2017. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, here with our first episode of The Conservative Conscience. And indeed, we cut through the hot air and the smoke, the half-truths, the lies. We delve into things that don't fit on a bumper sticker. We're really proud of our year in 2016, the growth of this program, the growth of Conservative Review in general, CRTV, our writings. We got you covered. Land, air, and sea. TV, radio, and writings. We got every form of communication here to give you guys the truth of what is going on in Washington, what's going on in every area of the government, every area of policy, politics. Make Conservative Review your one-stop show, one-stop website, and make the Conservative Conscience your one-stop podcast. We hope to be doing twice a week this year, and make sure you download the app and iTunes. You can get it on Stitcher, all sorts of places. And uh, wow, you know, I thought this week would start off slowly and then kind of go kaboom like it always does. Wednesday, Thursday gets real busy. Things are already busy here on Tuesday, January 3rd. We're recording here in the afternoon. Um, But things are already heating up. And I know a lot of you have heard about this ethics issue, the the issue about this ethics office and what are Republicans doing by abolishing it or reforming it. And I want to explain this in the prism of a broader outlook into 2017. Are Republicans already squandering their mandate? Are they squandering their mandate? You You look ahead at what we have to accomplish and it's enormous. We need to fully repeal Obamacare. That is number one. Number one. And I could tell you we're going to find out within the next number of hours or maybe a few days which direction they're going to head. As I've said before, you're going to hear the news about them repealing Obamacare. But in fact, all they plan to repeal are the funding mechanisms, the subsidies, the taxes, the, the requirement to purchase the insurance, but not the insurance coverage regulations, the mandates that actually drive up the cost of insurance. So the result of such a so-called repeal will be that the prices of premiums actually do not go down at all. If anything, they might even go up. Republicans would get blamed for it. We get nothing. So that is the first major bite battle. We're, we're going to have the battle of the judiciary, as always, not just the Supreme Court nominee. I'm going to have a comprehensive piece about the circuit courts. And the opportunity is there. And then, as always, I'm going to continue being the lonely voice fighting for judicial reform. Um, I I encourage you guys to go to my last article. Actually, I think it's the first article of 2017 because it was posted uh, over over the weekend. I, I go through the top 15 most dangerous, destructive court cases of last year, Supreme Court, lower courts. And it really gives you a sense of what so many others are missing, that the courts are just completely broken. So check that out. Um, we also have another listicle coming. You know, I know they're into listicles. It's kind of a new millennial word here. I have a piece coming out today. Hopefully it will be up in time for me to post on the show notes here. 
top 20 winning ideas for 2017. Lim- now, this is limited to immigration, homeland security, and counterterrorism. I'm going to get to domestic economic policy later, but these are 20 ideas. They're not exclusively all you know the 20 only winning only solid ideas there's many other good ideas but these in my mind are issues that are winning issues they're easy to message they'd be broadly popular and that's really what i want to get to here you got to be smart about politics there are times when you're technically right on an issue but it's just given the context of the time it's not worth spending your political capital on that and these are issues Reforming immigration the right way, homeland security, going after the Muslim Brotherhood. You'll see them there. Every one of them are issues that are so easy to um, to message. They're easy to enact. Not all of them are comprehensive, massive reforms. Not all of them are grand slam home runs, but they're all at least a solid base hit. Some of them are doubles, and they really put the Democrats on defense. Instead, what do Republicans do? Well, as always, they put themselves on defense, you know, from day one. They put themselves on defense. So late last night, January 2nd, Monday night, Republicans come back to convene the new House of Representatives. They're officially sworn in today, but they came in to adopt the rules package. So now, you know, as a legislative body, there's, you know, there's the constitutional rules, but then there's a lot of stuff that's just governed by the tradition or house rules and every congress which is a two-year duration every two years in january usually january 3rd they adopt a rules package so first um you know republicans the majority party goes into their conference and votes on the rules and then once the conference agrees to adopt it they go out to the main floor um, when they do all the utility stuff, all the administrative stuff of the first day, they elect the speaker, and then after that, they adopt the rules package. And typically, you know, the minority party always votes against it as a protest, no matter what, and the majority party usually unanimously supports it. So the big news today um, is this issue of the House, the House Ethics Committee. Um, and, and actually, to be more specific, it, it's um, this unelected office, this office of um, of government ethics. That's what it's called, the OGE, Office of Government Ethics. So now, let me before I get into the weeds here, let me just give a general overview. I want to explain how the media is blowing this up. They're distorting the issue. Fundamentally, I agree on the principle of where Republicans are coming from, gutting this office. But I think on net, it wasn't worth it, and it was stupid. And the fact that it reveals their priorities, what they are willing to expend political capital on and what they're not, demonstrates how Republicans have not changed. You know, it's funny, whenever we want to take principled stands on issues, on policies that affect people, we're always told that, oh, Daniel, we're going to get slaughtered for that. Come on, we're going to, that's not going to go over well. Uh, we're going to get killed. And and it's not true. These are broadly winning issues, but, you know, the special interests uh, hate it and the media will complain. Um, but then the, they'll do stuff where they'll expend so much political capital on things that look unethical, things that look corrupt. And even even when they're right, it's like, what do you get for it, and what do you incur, and is it really worth it? 
And that's what I want to say here. This has become very divisive. I'm on a lot of email lists. And even internally, we've been talking about it here at Conservative Review. People have different views on it. And that's why I want to explain to you guys how it's not so clear-cut. Um, Policy-wise, I actually agree with what they did. Um, constitutionally, also as broad, a broad principle. But I think it was just politically a dumb move, the way they did it, the timing, and how they did it. So let's unpack this here. So... Among the 15 or so committees that the House and Senate have, they have an ethics committee. Each body has a committee. Now, to be clear, when a member violates the law, you know, a federal law or something or a state law, so, you know, that's for law enforcement. We'll go after them. The FBI for federal law, a given state law enforcement will go after them if they committed a crime. Um, they're independent. They're That's what they're supposed to do. That's the executive branch of government in a, in a state or or the Justice Department, the FBI. What we're talking about is ethics, right? So each body adopts certain rules, you know, how you could campaign, how you could send correspondence to your constituents, what sort of gifts you could accept, meetings with different people. Um, those are those are the House and Senate rules. So who polices that? So one of the committees is the House Ethics Committee. So just like you have the House Judiciary Committee, you have the House Foreign Affairs Committee. So the House Ethics Committee doesn't deal with broad public policy, you know, political issues. They deal with policing the members. It's evenly divided between Republicans and Democrats. Obviously, the majority party chairs it. Um, the chairman is of the majority party, in this case, a Republican. I believe the incoming member is Susan Brooks from Indiana. And uh, they they investigate, you know, if, if a member they, – they think that a member took a bribe or something. Again, not in a way that violates federal law because then the FBI will be on their case anyway. Um, just last year, a, a member, a Democrat from Philadelphia was arrested and tried and convicted and is serving a long jail sentence for a whole slew of corruption charges. But these are mainly to take action internally against members that violate House rules and the Senate has the same thing. Now, what the media would have you believe is that Republicans woke up and decided to get rid of ethics, that there was an ethics committee and it was there since the times of Thomas Jefferson and it's like mandated by the Constitution and Republicans want got, to got rid of it so that they could go and rob banks and no one will know about it and they're the most unethical people around. The reality is, like I said, you have a standing House Ethics Committee that is there. What they are referring to is not the House Ethics Committee. It's in 2008, Nancy Pelosi. So 2008, we're talking about eight years ago, Democrat Nancy Pelosi created the Office of Government Ethics. So it was to operate as an independent agency within the legislative branch of government that would investigate all members um, for corruption and then they would refer that at their discretion to the um, House Ethics Committee, which is run by members. And and just I want to be clear here if you guys are confused. Again, the Ethics Committee is like any standing congressional committee that it is exclusively comprised of sitting elected members. This office is like an ancillary agency of the legislative branch that was created is just random people that are selected. They're unelected, bureaucratic type of people. Um, and now, so l let me just give some background on why I think this is a stupid idea and it's unfair. 
we have a constitutional system of government. We have the legislative branch, the executive branch, the judicial branch. Each one has responsibilities. Each one has checks and balances on the other. And it's not a perfect system, but it's the best system ever created, best system of government ever created known to man. It's a near-perfect system, a beautiful system that if applied properly, it would actually serve very well. But now the problem is each branch doesn't want to exercise they don't want the responsibility of owning up to their checks and balances. So they create new extra constitutional things. And then, you know, it just creates more and more problems. So if you've seen some of my, we, we have a series going, we have two articles so far, me and uh, my, one of my, um, my coworkers here, colleagues, Nate Madden, we're talking about these unelected executive branch commissions. There's dozens of them. You know, the EEOC and uh, the Trade Commission, um, the SEC, all these alphabet soups where they're called independent agencies. And as we noted, there's no such thing as an independent agency. You're either part of the executive branch or you're part of the legislative branch. If you're part of the executive branch, the accountability and responsibility goes to the president. So the president should be able to fire and control that. But he should take responsibility. He is elected. He will take the hit by the people if the people don't agree with what he did. Right? The president has to fully control any executive branch um, agency. So independent agencies are un- unconstitutional. Now, let's go to the legislative branch. So the legislative branch, you have the House, you have the Senate. But you know they created, just like the executive branch, they created – other agencies as tools to help them. There's the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, the Congressional Research Service, the Library of Congress, the Architect of the Capitol, um, the Botanical Gardens, the Congressional. You know, there's a there's a couple of these things there. There's the Office of the Parliamentarian. The House has a parliamentarian. The Senate has one to give them guidance. But are are these? Are these offices autonomous, independent, that they could rule over the sitting elected House members? No. The members ultimately control them. And 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 who are the members? The majority party, right? Whoever controls it. In other words, the majority party in the House and the Senate is the equivalent of the president, the executive branch. They, sh- they should fully control everything. So as a principle, I disagree with this notion of creating a branch that will an, – an independent agency – that could just go after members. It sounds great. Oh, more accountability, those corrupt House members, those corrupt senators, let's go after them. It sounds great on paper, but it's very problematic because nothing is more unaccountable than unelected individuals. You know my whole series on the federal judiciary exercising legislative powers or executive agencies exercising executive, legislative, and judicial powers that aren't responsible to the president and aren't confirmed by the senate in this case we're talking about nancy pelosi created this agency when democrats controlled the house they control the rules to go after members for ethics violations but we already have a committee of members ultimately the members have to police themselves and ultimately they have to stand before election so i disagree with the entire notion now i'm not going to tell you it's unconstitutional because congress could do what they want 
within their own purview. It's not an executive agency that created. It's, it's, it's a part of the legislative branch, um, and it's not for public policy. It's to police themselves so they could screw themselves. But it, it's kind of against the spirit of the accountability of the electoral system of a Republican form of government. But moreover, okay, that's in principle. Practically, how has this office worked? As you know, you guys know this, independent agencies are liberal. Okay, they're not independent. None of them are conservative. Most of them are liberal, and a handful are maybe legitimately neutral. This is true of all these executive independent agencies. And what happens is private outside liberal organizations work together with these so-called independent agencies, and they meld into one. And you basically have private liberal organizations making policy instead of elected members. So as much corruption as there is in Congress, and there are plenty of corrupt members, the worst thing is having an independent agency that's not under the oversight of the members and pretty much de facto, not by law, but practically run by liberal outside watchdog groups. That's the worst sort of unaccountability you could have. The other problem is, you, I, and again, I'm not trying to stick up for corrupt members here, but there are two sides to a story. Um, let me just give you an example. You know, th- th- there was an epidemic of, um, you know, falsely uh, f- false accusations of rape on college campuses. You know, kind of started with this whole Duke lacrosse player business a number of years ago. Um, you know, rape is a terrible, terrible, terrible crime. I mean, I feel like you know, I think many cases they should get the death penalty. That's just me, but commensurate with the degree of severity of that crime is the severity of falsely accusing someone of that crime, right? It's just terrible to falsely accuse someone. So the same thing here, there's, there's a lot of corrupt members, but what, what you don't want is to criminalize politics. In other words, you have a conservative member that's fighting immigration. They're fighting Obamacare and a bunch of special interests in their state don't like it. Or they don't like that they're getting rid of farm subsidies, so they say, this guy's corrupt. So here's the deal. What they were able to do in this Office of Government Ethics until now is any liberal organization – and again, it's it's both ends, and some Democrats were referred to for ethics violations. But it has really been biased against Republicans. So these outside organizations could go ahead and anonymously lodge a complaint – they don't have to stand up in front of any, anyone as an accuser. They're anonymous. And the members wouldn't even know about it. So they wouldn't have due process rights to, 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 to know what the charges are and fight back against it. Now, to be clear, this office didn't have the power to adjudicate and actually issue anything. They would ultimately refer it to the elected body of the House Ethics Committee. But they were completely independent. And more importantly, they had a press shop. So they would issue press releases, Congressman John Smith is under investigation, Congressman John, and it could be a total BS charge from a left-wing group. And the guy could, you know, it it turns out and then nothing happened, but now get my good name back. They would try these people in the court of public opinion, and without any evidence, without any of the standards of evidentiary procedures that you have in the FBI, the Justice Department court, the court system, and you didn't have the power of the members actually overseeing it on the House Ethics Committee. So you have these unelected members working with unelected outside NGOs that would anonymously lodge complaints, not tell the member about it, and all of a sudden come out with these statements. 
And, you know, the more you say a guy is corrupt, the more it, it happens. You know, the guy becomes corrupt in the eyes of the people and he loses election. Sometimes it's legit. Often it's not. So what Republicans did is they, they primarily did two things last night. They didn't abolish it. But they put this office under the auspices of the elected body member or House Ethics Committee. So it's no longer independent. So now it has the oversight from the members. And that's what they're going crazy. Oh, you're having the foxes guard the hen house. But yes, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the president has to guard himself and Congress guards themselves. And that's why you have elections. If there's criminal activity, you have the FBI and the DOJ and you got the court system. But ultimately, ultimately, if you're talking about the House ethical rules, I mean, the House has got to guard that. The other change they made is that outsiders could still file complaints, but they have to stand for um, they have to they have to release their names. They're no longer anonymous and the members have to know about it. Um, so, you know, they could still do it, but the members have to know. And, and by the way, a third change that they abolished the, um, this office of government ethics, which they, they renamed it. They gave it some new, uh, um, new name, the office of congressional complaint review. And they can no longer, longer ha- have a press shop, right? So under the new rules, um, they're not allowed to make any public statements. Uh, they're not allowed to, um, contact law enforcement um you know before evidence is presented so foundationally i agree with this but here here and look people are very sharply divided um the the vote was something like 120 to 70 something within the house i believe um i'm forgetting the exact number but again not the full house this was the republican members Oh, it was 119 to 74, and then about 40 members didn't vote. A lot of members really didn't know anything about this, the ones I spoke to. Um, this was just two in the weeds. They never dealt with it. Um, but it, it wasn't just the establishment versus the versus conservatives. They were kind of split down the middle. Elements of the establishment liked it. Elements hated it. Elements of conservatives liked it. They hated it. This is not just members that want to be corrupt. Um, I think certainly the corrupt ones did like it, but you know, again, a lot of members they could do nothing wrong, but basic procedures for interacting with constituents could be criminalized. And you have a lot of trumped up complaints, which are fine, but you can't have an independent, unelected agency going and speaking to the media and just spewing nonsense without due process. I mean, that's got to be worked through the committee. But the problem is, this was a stupid thing to do. At a time when we need to harness all of our political capital for winning issues, for broad, consequential things to save the country, not dealing with ethical house violations of the members. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's I mean, this is what we need to do. You know, House members, I'm hearing from some people say, you know, look, Daniel, this was a big deal because we would lose elections needlessly. Some members would be accused of being corrupt and they weren't and it was disproven. There was no evidence. But, you know, the court of public opinion and the stupid unelected council, we got to get rid of it. Otherwise, we're going to lose elections. So I said, you know what costs us more elections? The motor voter laws. The, the non-citizens voting, the, the voter fraud. We need legislation. There's a lot of good ideas to fix that, forcing states to um, use the databases to um, – the federal database system to, to check against non-citizens registering to vote. 
That's how we lose elections. That's a very popular thing. That's easy to message. I want non-citizens to vote. How do I message this? You know, it took me 15 minutes to explain this to you guys. How do you message this on a bumper sticker? How do you message this? Oh, we wanted to uh, weaken the ethics office. Again, now you guys, now that I explained it, understand this wasn't a standing constitutionally mandated office. It was a trumped up nonsense, unaccountable thing created by Nancy Pelosi in 2008 um, on top of the existing House Ethics Committee. There was no reason for it. But how do you message this? Really, GOP? This is your hill to die on? This is your hill to die on? This is the problem. You, you, You start off a new Congress with a certain amount of political capital. And you have to use it wisely. I mean, picture like you have, you know, a fiscal budget. So you have a political capital budget. I am all for using strong, strong arm, but legal constitutional tactics within your powers of the legislative branch to enact a righteous agenda. I'll give you an example of something similar. I I mentioned before the parliamentarian is a another independent kind of, you know, branch. Um, you know, it's our office within the legislature. Now, the purpose of the parliamentarian is that the procedures get very complicated, and you want someone who has that institutional knowledge to advise members. But ultimately, that guy doesn't have veto power over the members. The member, he, you know, if it's kind of in the weeds, deep, complicated procedures, they ask the guy for advice. The guy is standing up there during procedures because um, usually most members don't have a clue about how to run it. And the guy just slips them notes and it whispers in their ear and they call the shots. But ultimately, constitutionally, there's no parliamentarian. It's the elected members. So what am I getting at here? A lot of people are saying we can't repeal the coverage mandates of Obamacare because the parliamentarian will rule that they can't be included in the budget reconciliation process that could be done with 51 votes and not subject to the filibuster. And I I, I explained already, I have two pieces on this, how it's nonsense. The precedent with Senate rules is, is, you know, clearly says that you could do this all together, repeal the whole thing in one sentence. Um, But, you know, you're going to have to expend some political capital. You have to overrule. It's called overruling the chair. You overrule the parliamentarian. The House members could do that. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, both chambers, in this case, talking about the Senate. This is what you expend your political capital on. We are members. We are elected. We control. We have the majority. We control the legislative branch. We want to repeal Obamacare, and we're not going to let the parliamentarian get in our way. You know, they always say the ends don't justify the means, but in politics, the ends do actually do justify the means because the public doesn't understand means, processes. They're very complicated. They do understand the ends, and they want to get rid of Obamacare. So, you know, the the left and the D.C. media will cry foul. Well, you strong arm the parliamentarian. Well, the public will say, screw the parliamentarian. We want Obamacare repealed. But if you're going to say, well, I want less ethics oversight, so therefore, you know, Look, you know, you tell me how you message that. Again, I mean, I think it's less accountable, but it's very hard to give over. And of course, Republicans are doing it in the dumbest way. I have to say, I do agree So, with Donald Trump. Donald Trump just put out um, a tweet, and it actually captured my mind because, like I told you, even internally here at Conservative Review and a lot of friends that I'm on these email chains, leaders of various conservative groups, they're kind of split on this. And some are like, what do you mean? This is just, you know, Republicans looking like a bunch of fools. Others are saying, no, this is an unaccountable, post-constitutional Pelosi nonsense. It, it needlessly goes after members without due process. 
Donald Trump tweeted the following, with all that Congress has to work on, do they really have to make the weakening of the independence ethics watchdog comma as unfair as it is? So he, he obviously is getting good advice. He recognizes that it's BS, that the media is trumping it up. No pun intended there. But nonetheless, you got to look at your priorities. And that's why I'm proud to put out our list of priorities. We started with national security and immigration. We're going to go on to, in the coming days and weeks, um, you know, uh, an agenda for fiscal, domestic policy, social issues, um, judicial reform, how to tackle the lower courts. We're, we're, we got you covered here at Conservative Review. But this is what the members need to hear. They need to understand if you have a certain number of issues, legislation that you could enact, you pick the most impactful, consequential ones that are easy to message. Um, so again, this is a case where I think fundamentally Republicans were right, but it just reveals their distorted priorities and how, once again, they are the stupid, stupid party. Anyway, we're at, we're about out of time here. I'm going to circle back later on when we know more what's going on with Obamacare. Um, Republicans are going to have a vote to condemn the UN, but from what I'm hearing, it's going to be kind of vacuous. Or we're going to cover that in our next uh, uh, meeting together. This is our town hall meeting. Um, I just it's funny. I just feel like a meeting, like you know, all of us talking together. Really appreciate you guys tuning in. Oh, and before I forget, CRTV, make sure you sign up for your subscription. 99 bucks for a full year. You're not going to want to miss Steven Crowder, Michelle Malkin, um, Mark Levin, of course, and others. Also, please sign up um, to repeal Obamacare. To repeal Obamacare at our buddies FreedomWorks. FreedomWorks is partnering with us they are going to be another watchdog to ensure that Republicans do not renege on their promise and that they actually fully repeal the meaningful parts of Obamacare. Um, so if you want your premiums lowered, you want FreedomWorks fighting for you. So support our, our sponsors here. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.